shorter than we're all accustomed to. Uh, before you get too excited, I should warn you, we are going to be getting into some pretty deep stuff. So put your thinking caps on and buckle up. Some of you may recall a Wednesday evening invitation I did about a month ago where I spoke concerning God's presence in our lives. In case you weren't here, or if you were here and you don't remember, I'm going to do a brief recap because the lesson this evening ties into the point I made during that invitation. In the invitation, I referenced Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5, with particular focus being placed on verse 2. The lesson tonight comes from this passage as well, so I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. In verse 2, we see that darkness was on the face of the deep. Now this darkness would have been complete and total darkness, since light had not been created yet, not until verse 3. However, in verse 2, we also see that the Spirit of God was also there hovering over the face of the waters. So despite the darkness, God was there. In the invitation, I made a correlation between this passage and the difficult and troubling times that we sometimes experience in our lives and how as Christians, even during our darkest hour, God is there. The question I'd like to address tonight is why is that significant? What truly makes the fact that God is there with us during our most difficult times so significant? Well, to understand this, I believe we must first address an even more basic and fundamental question, and that is, who is God? If I was to hand you a book, and I said this book didn't have an author, it didn't have an editor, it didn't have a cover designer, a typesetter, an art director, a publisher, that this book just came into existence, you all would look at me as though I had lost my mind. Everyone understands that it is impossible for such an item to just come into existence. An item with intelligent design requires that there must be an intelligent designer that created it. Have you stopped lately and looked into the sky at night? Have you seen what's going on up there? Every time I look into the night sky, it completely blows my mind. A handful of years ago, there were some scientists. They wanted to see what there was to see beyond the stars that you could see. They wanted to take a long exposure photograph using the Hubble telescope. It's called ultra-deep field imaging. So these scientists, they identified a pocket of space between some stars that was seemingly devoid of everything. Nothing there. You couldn't see anything there. And to put it into perspective, this, the size of this pocket of space is about the size of a pinhead held out at arm's length. So they pointed the Hubble telescope at this point in space, and they opened the shutter. And they left it open for 11 days. And slowly, photon after photon entered into the Hubble telescope. And after 11 days, the scientists were able to finally look at the image. And what they saw was almost unbelievable. The image didn't just show stars. 
didn't just show solar system, but it showed numerous entire galaxies. The scientists counted up all of the galaxies in that one image, in that one tiny pocket in space, and the total galaxies in that one image totaled over 10,000 galaxies. 10,000 galaxies so faint and so far away you can't even see them with your own eyes in that one tiny pocket of space. Have you stopped lately to consider your own body? With all of the complicated inner workings, all of your organs networking together, and how in every single cell in your body, there's about six feet of DNA, all intertwined and wound up. DNA is your unique genetic coding that makes you who you are. If you were to take all the DNA in all the cells in your body, and stretch them out end on end, the amount of DNA in your body at this very moment would stretch for over 10 billion miles. 10 billion miles of your own unique genetic coding. The sun is only 93 million miles away. Your DNA in your body at this very moment can stretch from here in the pew to the sun and back over 53 times. And that's your own unique genetic coding. The person next to you has their own unique genetic coding. Ten billion miles of it. Every living organism on this planet has its own unique genetic coding. Every bird, every fish and mouse and whale, every lizard, every plant, everything has its own unique genetic coding. How much more complicated is our universe than that book, that book that we spoke about a few minutes ago. A book that we already concluded must have had an intelligent designer. Such an intricate and complicated, detailed intelligent design demands that there must be, by necessity, an intelligent designer. And to argue otherwise would actually contradict the second law of thermodynamics which states that entropy in the universe always increases over time, meaning that things move from a state of organization to a state of deorganization, not the other way around. All of this immense organization could, only, uh, could not have come from anything, from nothing. There must have been an intelligent designer. But who? Well, we all know who, don't we? A few moments ago, we looked at verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1. And I'd like to propose that the, question, that the uh, answer to the question, who is God, can be found in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1 states, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So who is God? God is first and foremost the creator. Genesis chapter 1 continues and we see God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. He created water and light, created grass and herbs and fruit trees, created the sun and moon and stars. He created every sea creature and bird and cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth. You see that he also created man and woman. What a powerful creator we serve. In Genesis 1, we don't just see that he created everything. We see that he spoke everything into existence. What a powerful creator we serve. 
And yet, there's even more. You see, Genesis chapter 1 doesn't just say that he spoke everything into existence, but it says he spoke everything into existence in only six days. Six days. In six days, he created all of the inner workings of this universe. From the 10 billion miles of DNA in Adam's body to those 10,000 galaxies in that tiny pocket of space. Six days. What a powerful, powerful creator we serve. I should take a moment now to address a very serious issue. There is a, a belief that is becoming more common and this uh, is even becoming more common, sadly, amongst members of the church. That is this belief that has been coined the day-age theory. The day-age theory was devised as a way for people to attempt to rationalize the immense power of God as they struggle to grasp the understanding of God's power. The belief misuses the passage from, first, or from uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Now this passage is referring to God's long-suffering. People read this, and they go on to read Genesis chapter 1, and when they see that the God created the universe, the entire universe in six days, they then extrapolate that each day must have been some length of time longer than one literal day, because it is just too difficult to comprehend that this universe could have been devised and created in just six literal days. And so the belief is that each day of creation is actually some lengthy period of time in which God slowly created everything through various processes to include the Big Bang and evolution. Satan is quite crafty, and he often uses the intellect of man against man. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. People have compromised their faith and trust in the power of the Almighty God in attempts to rationalize it with their own wisdom. To some of you, this may seem an insignificant matter of semantics, but I'll tell you, I personally don't want to be the one to deprive God of any of his proclaimed power and glory. So let me put a stop to this belief right now. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. In Hebrew, the original language in which this was written, the word day here is yom. This word yom has a variety of meanings which can mean a literal day, and it also has a meaning that can mean an undefined, indeterminate period of time. So in order for us to understand which meaning should be extrapolated from the text, we must first look at the context. Now, this is not an uncommon practice, even within our own spoken language. It's actually so common that we don't even realize when we're doing it. For example, if I was to use the word day, if I came to you and I said, back in the day, etc., etc., you would understand I wasn't speaking about a literal 24-hour period, but rather some lengthy period of time in the past. Despite the fact that day is most commonly used as a 24-hour period in our language. So let's look at the context for this Hebrew word yom. 
Hebrew word yom occurs 2,282 times in the Old Testament outside of Genesis chapter 1. Of these occurrences, we see yom used 359 times in conjunction with a number, whether that number is a cardinal number or an ordinal number. In all cases, the context implies that the word yom is to be translated as a literal day. The word yom is also used 19 times outside of Genesis chapter 1 in conjunction with either the word morning or evening. In all cases, all 19 cases, a literal 24-hour period is implied. Additionally, the word morning and evening occurred 38 times without the word day, and still a literal day is implied in each case. And finally, outside of Genesis chapter 1, the word yom is used in conjunction with the word night 53 times. And in each case implies a literal 24-hour period. So now that we have a contextual basis for this word yom, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. and Let's see what we can extract from the text. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 5. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first, that's an ordinal number, were the first day. That's five different clues in that one verse alone to indicate the contextual meaning of this word yom. We can now conclude with absolute certainty that each day of creation was in fact a literal 24-hour period. So God did in fact speak all of this intricate universe into existence in six literal 24-hour periods. What a powerful creator we serve. So what is the significance of God being there with you in the dark and troubling times in your life? It is because of who he is and what he is capable of. Speaking of what God is capable of, there's an aspect of Genesis chapter 1 that we have overlooked. It is also something that I believe all too often gets overlooked when studying the creation story. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 again. See if you can catch what I'm talking about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Did you catch it? I'll read it again. See if you catch it this time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, God didn't just create the heavens and the earth in verse 1. It was through the creation of the heavens and the earth that he enacted the beginning. In verse 1, we see God create space and matter, but we also see him create time. This point is further validated in verse 14. Verse 14 says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. God created the sun and moon and stars in part to help us keep track of time. The earth makes a full revolution around the sun every 365 days. That's a full year. Because of the tilt and the wobble of the earth, the position of the stars in the skies change. 
throughout the year, and we can determine what season we're in based on the position of the stars. The moon cycle lasts about 30 days, or roughly one month. And the Earth makes a full rotation on its axis every 24 hours. That's a day. And dependent, depending on the position of the stars in the sky or the sun in the sky, we can even determine what hour of the day it is. And if we're to use a sundial, we can even determine fairly accurately what minute of the hour it is. God created the heavens and the earth, but he also created time. Time is a physical construct of this life just as much as space and matter. And there's a misconception that God dwells within time, that eternity is time forever in that direction, and it's for time forever in that direction, and that God dwells within that, but that's not what eternity is. Time is a physical construct of this life, and eternity is a state of existence in the next life. There's no word in the ancient Hebrew that carries this context of eternity. However, there are phrases that utilize the Hebrew word alam. For example, la'alam va'id, which is usually translated into English as forever and ever. However, this phrase more literally translates to, to the distant horizon and again. This is a phrase that uses figurative language to indicate that something is obscured, being beyond the horizon and out of sight. It is an indication of something that we cannot currently perceive. Our minds, being a physical construct, cannot escape the grasp of time just as we cannot escape the grasp of matter and space. We are currently bound to this life with all of its physical properties. It is impossible for the natural mind to fully comprehend the supernatural. So the best we can do is to use figurative speech. To put it another way, describing eternity as everlasting or forever and ever is the closest thing we can use to describe with earthly understanding an unearthly existence. But eternity is not a length of time. It is an existence in the absence of time. God does not exist within the confines of time, but it is time that exists within the confines of God's power. This may seem trivial to some of you, but the implications of this understanding are significant. Having this understanding means that we are one step closer to understanding how absolutely unapproachable God's power really is. We should not put limitations on the power of God, even in our own minds, because the all-powerful, unbounded God of the universe the God that we serve is truly capable of anything. And that is why. That is why it is so significant that God is there with you even during your darkest hour. Because if God can speak the entire universe into existence in six literal days, if he can command all of space and matter and time, tell me, what is it that God cannot do for you? 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. The almighty, all-powerful, unbounded God and creator of the universe 
wants you to lay your burdens and anxieties on him because he cares for you. What amount of troubles can you be going through that the Lord cannot help you to overcome? Nothing. There's nothing. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in Psalms 23, we see, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I believe Paul said it best in Romans 8 and verse 31 through 39. I'd like us all to take our Bibles out, turn to this passage, because you need to see these words. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is now at the right hand of God, who, inter- who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are some powerful words. What a loving God we serve. Jesus came to this earth and died for our sins. You know what's always amazed me more than that? He said he came to this world and lived came to this world and lived as a mortal man bearing the temptations and overcoming each of them, every one. He lived a perfect life and he died spilling his blood for our sins. Now he sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. We no longer have to go through a priest. We can hand over our anxieties directly to the creator of the universe anytime we'd like. Through Jesus Christ. And indeed, the Almighty Creator wants us to do just that because He cares for you. In James 4 and verse 8 draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. There are no amount of trials and tribulations that you cannot overcome when God is on your side. If you're here tonight and you'd like to start your walk with Christ and you'd like the power and comfort that's afforded through being able to give your anxieties directly to God and to know that God is there with you even during your darkest hour, please come forward while together we stand and sing.